0: This is the FM Gold channel of All India Radio. In the program Countrywide, tonight we bring an interview with India's ambassador to Japan, Sanjay Kumar Verma. The interviewer is Sanjit Kumar, AIR correspondent. Welcome, sir. What we have seen over the years, particularly the last five years, is a very definite broadening out of India-Japan relationship. What is your
1: view in as a bridge of this uh, relationship? Currently, India-Japan bilateral relationship is a, at the historical best. And therefore, the only way To go is to go forward. The relationship is in all dimensions and in the interest of both the countries. So therefore, it is complementarity, which is driving the relationship. And what I see as my role is to find opportunities in my national interest, which is India's national interest, and then take it forward so that Japanese national interest is also served. And therefore, both countries remain engaged with each other over a long period of time.
0: So give from your point of view, give some more reasons why this relationship is particularly important for India as well as Japan.
1: India is embarking on a policy of New India. And in New India, there are various pillars. And if we look at all these pillars, Japan has got a strength in them. And if Japan is able to take this strength to India, finally we will be benefited. So let's take an example, Digital India. Digital India needs a lot of technological inputs, a lot of investment inputs, and a lot of global experience-related inputs. So if you look at all these three dimensions in just the digital India, Japan is very much able to plug their itself in. Japan has already invested close to $4 billion in India's startup ecosystem. Most of the startups are in the domain of digital India. When you look at the technology, many technologies are flying from Japan to India in order to co-create and co-develop new products and services for the market. So, the Japanese relationship with India in this particular segment is quite forward-looking. If you look at the smart city, same thing. If you look at the skill development, again, it comes back to the same thing. So, Japan and India's partnership is complementary to each other, and therefore, we should be able to reap good benefits from an expanding relationship between the two of us.
0: Sir, as you already mentioned, two or three programs, but how Japan is important for our own modernization program like Skill India, Make in India,
1: you already mentioned Digital India. If you look at the Skill India program, so Skill India program is about training, then retraining, and then creating employment and reemployment opportunities. Japan has taken it very seriously, and what they have done is that uh, Japanese companies in India have created something known as JIM, which is Japan Institute of Manufacturing, where they train the Indian manpower into the Japanese way of manufacturing, Japanese way of management, and these are globally accepted best practices. Japan has an interest that in order to get the right kind of manpower in their Indian operations, they need trained people and that's why they are training. But we get an advantage because if our workforce is trained, it will start a domino effect and many more will be trained through those trained people. If you look at Make in India, Japan has been locating its manufacturing units in India and they are promoting Make in India program. Let's Look at the example of India's largest automotive industry, automotive manufacturer, which is Suzuki Motors, Marathi Suzuki Motors. What they have done is that they have gone with the core technology, which is the manufacturing, but the vendors have been taken as well. These vendors created joint ventures with Indian vendors. And therefore, all the components coming into the manufacturing of Marathi Suzuki vehicles are actually produced in India. So they, in a way, strengthen, make in India initiative of the Prime Minister. If you look at uh, Digital India, I've already talked about it. So in Digital India also, in almost all the sub-pillars of Digital India, you will find Japanese showing an interest and playing an active role.
0: The last few years have seen a very sharp increase in Japanese economic activities in India. More than 1,200 Japanese companies today operating in India and many of them are looking to scale up their operations. What is your opinion in this changing economic
1: scenario? Very rightly put, uh, we have the statistics till October 2018, which indicates that about 1,441 Japanese companies are in India and they are operating through close to 5,500 outlets in India. So, each company has multiple outlets in India. So, therefore, if I look at the investment point of view, yes, there are 1,441 invested units, but there are more than that Japanese presence in India, which is 5,500. These companies are primarily there for the Indian market. But now the view is changing for a third country collaboration. So, very recently, Suzuki and Toyota announced a joint venture for Africa so that the Suzuki vehicles are sold more in numbers in Africa. So Suzuki basically here means Maruti Suzuki, those Suzuki vehicles which are manufactured in India. So therefore these tie-ups are also looking beyond India and therefore in that sense they are truly coming up as Indian companies and not so much as Japanese companies.
0: Sir, as you know, India and Japan signed a very important skills program, manufacturing skill transfer promotion program, which would train around 30,000 persons over the next 10 years, Japanese style manufacturing skills. What is the program and how
1: Indian youth will be benefited by this? As I told you earlier, this program is GIM, Japan Institute of Manufacturing. And this will come up largely through the Japanese manufacturers who are already based out of India. What they are doing is either they are getting together with some of the academic institutions or engineering colleges, or they are doing it on premise, on their own premises, launching technology and skill transfer classes for the Indian workforce, which is largely retraining. All these, the the entire workforce should have a certain basic knowledge of the technology and they are being retrained to reach a higher level of skill set. And slowly this is going to be more in numbers. At the moment, I believe there are six of them in India. But the numbers will increase and therefore they will be able to, at any given point of time, train more number of Indian workers of all levels, senior engineers up to shop floor operators. In typically the Japanese technology, but also in Japanese way of management, which is Kaizen or S5. So there are different kinds of management systems in Japan uh, just in time. So all these things will come through that kind of training provided.
0: Last few years uh, have been an impressive expansion and deepening up about our special strategic and global partnership with
1: Japan. Share your views in this uh, new era of friendship between the two countries. You know, Japan has just uh, begun the new era, which is known as Reva, which is harmony. And we are looking at that as the basis and then take it forward. So our increased role in special strategic partnership is largely on establishing peace In the region and stability. Stability could have various connotations. It could be stability in maritime, it could be stability in financial markets, it could be stability in technological markets. So there are various aspects of stability but the larger goal is to provide connectivity in the region. Through connectivity increase peace and stability of the entire region.
0: Japan is one of the few countries which we have an annual summit at the leadership level. Prime Minister Modi and Prime Minister Shinzo Abe have met many times in these years in different occasions. How
1: do you feel that the personal chemistry between them has injected new vigour in this relationship? You know, when the leaders are easy with each other, they are frank with each other, upfront with each other, the entire system of that country gets a boost. And that is what has happened with the increased chemistry between our two leaders. They are not only leaders of two sovereign nations, they are very good friends to each other. And they are very frank in discussions, they are very frank in discussing things that would enhance the collective interest of the two countries. The mutual interests have no irritant in each other's country. So all these things are taken together and then move forward. Many a times, these are top-down processes. So if the leaders agree, then the process is set in motion. And therefore, having a good chemistry between the two leaders actually helps the two countries coming together.
0: So, that we already uh, discussed on the, these topics. but the two countries clearly see each other much more strategically. This is expressed through a wide range of uh, contacts and activities, including areas that are relatively new. Is India's as relating economic growth has the only region which provides new
1: business opportunities of Japanese companies? or other things are also important behind this partnership? If I go back, say, a couple of decades, then yes, India was mainly important for Japan for its economic expansion and activities. But today, each and every sector of Indian system is engaged with similar uh, sectors of the Japanese systems. So if you talk of skill development, skill development will have some economic impact, but then it is also developing the skill sets of Indians as such, which may go beyond the Japanese economy. If you look at uh, the kind of people-to-people exchanges that are happening between India and Japan, they are much beyond the economy. If you look at the thrust on establishing peace and stability in the region, having open channels of sea for trade—I mean, all these things are economic partly, but it also goes beyond economy. So, economy is one of the elements, but you cannot define the entire relationship on the basis of economy and trade interest.
0: So, Japan is already working with Indian priority infrastructure in India, like the Western Dedicated Fret Corridor, the Delhi-Mumbai Industrial Corridor, and various metro rail projects. How will be the
1: other areas of working together for companies of both the countries? The companies, these are the large infrastructure projects that you mentioned. But the largest infrastructure project for the future happens to be mumbai Ahmedabad High-Speed Railways. And that's the largest infrastructure project which India would have ever undertaken. And Japan is a partner in that. So, basically, when you develop any such project, there is going to be various collateral fallouts. So, if a high-speed railway comes in, there are technologies, hundreds of technologies, which go into making a high-speed railway work. All these technologies will either be transferred to India or Indians will get skilled in those technologies. So, it will have various other desirable impacts outside this particular project as well so in the future i can foresee many new projects coming up particularly in the field of technology and startups
0: even as japan is working with us as a valued partner in india's economic transformation both countries also cooperate with greater ease in international relations they realize the importance of shaping acs architecture while promoting
1: its growth development and stability what is your opinion in this regard India and Japan are two very important countries in Indian Ocean and Pacific Ocean. So if one has to discuss the freedom of navigation, if one needs to discuss the rule of law, if one needs to discuss inclusiveness in the region, India and Japan could be fulcrums for such discussions. And since these discussions have to be inclusive, so there will be other partners as well. ASEAN has to have a central role in this. So therefore, India and Japan have already started this discussion. And we expect that this discussion will move forward with other partners included in it. At the moment, I'm sure people would know that there is a platform known as Japan, America, India, Jai, which was formulated by our Prime Minister in the last G20 Summit. Then there is something known as Quad, which is India, Japan, Australia, and the U.S. So there are architectures available. These architectures need to move forward in order to promote what Prime Minister said in uh, Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore, Sagar. So it has to be security for all, rule of law is a must, and it has to be inclusive. So if we are able to achieve this, then we are. what we are doing is actually using the existing and new architectures of the international relations and moving into a more stable and peaceful regional international politics.
0: One more closer to this, Prime Minister Modi recognized that the India-Japan relationship has been transformed into a partnership with greater substance and purpose and is a cornerstone of India's east policy. Uh, can you throw
1: some more light in this new era of India-Japan relations? east policy of India largely talks of connectivity. So connectivity physical and then connectivity people to people. Now it has expanded into a new area which is also the cyber connectivity. Connectivity in the digital age. So India and Japan, in the last annual summit between the two prime ministers, had decided that it will go into third countries as well. Some of the third countries which are being discussed at the moment will be on the eastern side of India. And therefore, they will be, in a way, strengthening India's own Act east policy. So Japan is very much on board for this. The projects will be taken up first in the vicinity of India and then it will move further in the ASEAN region and we hope that uh, these projects of connectivity in all the three dimensions which I just mentioned will finally be able to bring people together and closer which will aid to the peace and stability of the region.
0: Sir, as we are talking on the eve of the G20 summit, so how you could elaborate India's role in G20?
1: If you look at the evolution of G20, it has started as a financial and commercial platform. So trade-related issues and finance-related issues. Today we are talking many more things than that. We are talking about counterterrorism, we are talking about global stability, we are talking about climate change. So there are digital economies, so there are so many issues now which have come up and these have been added over a period of time. If you look at India, India plays a major role in all these pillars and therefore India's participation, India's action and India's suggestions will play a major role in delivering what the G20 could commit. In formulating the commitment of G20 itself, India is a major partner. And therefore, I see India's role within G20 as one of the defining countries for the outreach and outcome for the implementation of the G20 commitments. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.
0: You were listening to an interview with the India's ambassador to Japan, Sanjay Kumar Varma. The interviewer was Sanjeev Kumar, AIR correspondent. This program is produced and presented by the News Services Division of All India Radio. This program is also available on our website newsonair.com. You may email your opinion about this program at airnsdtalksgmail.com. At